coming up on this week's episode of the Hogbeat Hour brought to you by Rivals, Hogbeat, and CJ's Butcher Boy Burgers. The Razorbacks take a big win over LSU into their final regular season game against A&M. The Diamond Hogs host South Alabama while on a four-game losing streak. And we're just 10 days out from spring football. Let's do it. Everybody. Welcome to the Hogbeat Hour. I'm Nikki Chavanel from Hogbeat.com and I'm here with Andrew Hutchinson from Hogbeat.com. We are your Razorback insiders on Arkansas Rivals, where you can find all your premium inside info on Razorback football, basketball, baseball, talking a little women's basketball later today with Phil Elson. And, uh, you know, the Razorbacks, the uh, Hoop Hogs, uh, our, our sponsored content for the Hoop Hogs is brought to you by CJ's Butcher Boy Burgers in Fayetteville and Russellville. Um, the Razorbacks are coming off a big, big win over LSU. They're second in the SEC, so that win was pretty critical for Arkansas's SEC tournament you know, projections in their seeding. Um, they won 99-90 to after taking a 21-point lead into halftime. Um, what a game. I mean, Mason Jones notched his eighth 30-point game of the season. Jimmy Witt went off on senior night with 26 points, 15 rebounds. I mean, the stats last night were ridiculous. I had to basically just quote hog stats on a bunch of stuff in my story last night because people will just keep breaking things. Yeah, Mason Jones is having a phenomenal year, and I really believe he is the SEC Player of the Year. Uh, he What he's done this year is... It, it, I, you know, I think Hogstats said this on Twitter, and I completely agree with him. You know, he was wondering if anyone would ever approach the crazy records that Martin Terry set back in the '70s, uh, his crazy scoring averages, the times he hit thir scored 30 points, and Mason Jones is making a run at it. I mean, I don't know if he's going to break those records. I, I think Martin Terry's uh, record for single season 30 point games, I, I want to say, is 10 or 11. Uh, so obviously Mason's going to have to go off against A&M and do some damage in the postseason. Uh, but that I, I didn't know anyone was ever going to break that stuff. So what he's doing, and you throw in the, the free throw records, you know, passing a guy like Sidney Moncrief, I mean, arguably the greatest player in school history. Uh, you uh, talk about ranking first in the country in free throws, first in the SEC in scoring, does all these other things too that kind of get overlooked i mean he rebounds well he passes the ball well he gets a lot of steals so that his his season is is certainly worthy of sec player of the year accolades even though arkansas is only seven and ten with a chance to get to eight and ten this weekend what's kind of a nice thing too is that i mean mason jones is so good arguably sec player of the year and he's not even on any draft boards which means the likelihood that he returns next year unless for some reason he's like really dying to leave to go make money overseas or something like that I don't see why he should go I mean he loves Eric Musselman he's just going to keep getting better his numbers might not get better next year with the talent that Musselman's bringing in with four four-star guys that 
pretty much all, I think, expect to play a good amount. Um, but the fact that he's so good and there's no, like, is he going to come back? I mean, there is a little bit of that, but there's not as much as with Daniel Gafford, you know, two years ago. Uh, and then Isaiah Joe, because he got hurt, it also looks like he's going to be back. He's yeah. he's still, I think I, I looked at this earlier, uh, there's a couple draft boards, Sports Illustrated, uh, at the beginning of this month had him at number 35. That's pretty high. If he were projected to go that high, honestly, he'd probably go, right? If he was only projected 35, I'm not sure. Uh, you know, cause Can he really get much higher than that, though? I mean, I, I, After what we've seen this season? as f- Isaiah Joe, I think, can. Mason Jones, I, I'm not so sure. That's why I think, you know, if Mason's projected second round or what, late second round, if he comes back, it's not to really improve his draft stock. It's because he wants to win a championship and he wants to, you know, break records at Arkansas, things like that. Isaiah Joe, though, just his shooting ability is so elite that if he can add the other aspects of his game and improve the other aspects of his game, which he's shown being being able to do that in recent weeks, you know, since he's come back from injury, uh, but if he can continue to do that, do it for a full season, I think he would still be able to improve that draft stock. See, if you remember before the year, he was talked about as a potential lottery pick. So I still think that potential is there. And so, I mean, obviously, I'm not a an NBA draft expert by any means, but I think he more so than Mason, could improve his draft stock by coming back for another year. Last night for my story, I called Jimmy Witt Tiger Kryptonite because he killed LSU last time, even though they lost. Uh, He scored 22 points, and then last night he scored 26. Will Wade said, Witt just controlled the game. We can't guard him. We couldn't guard him last time. He seems like, I don't know him at all, but seems like an unbelievable kid in person, and he is. That's the best thing about him. So I'm looking forward to seeing what he does next. Obviously, he's out of eligibility here, but probably one of my favorite players that I've ever covered. And to to echo what you just said about Jimmy, uh, after the Missouri game a couple of weeks ago, uh, my wife and my three-month-old daughter uh, went to the game with my parents, and they were sitting in a box with my dad's work, and uh, Hunter Yurchek, the athletic director, invited them down to the court after the game and they wanted to meet Jimmy Whit and my wife was so complimentary of Jimmy just how nice he was and how just friendly and just uh, seems like a really bright young guy Uh, so I fully uh, expect him to to finish the year strong and then do be successful in whatever it is that he wants to do whether that be playing professionally somewhere overseas or go in and start his career, I fully anticipate him to be successful in whatever that next step is. On top of the 26 points, he also added 15 rebounds, 14 defensive boards, which I think was the most since Nick Davis in 1997. Like, that's crazy. You would expect guys that are breaking these kinds of records to, I don't know, have a better conference record than this, but Depth-wise, I guess the way the roster is put together because there's no big man. It just it just didn't really happen for him this year. But there's still a slight chance at the tournament. Yeah, there there is. They're, they're going to have to do some damage in Nashville at the SEC tournament for sure. Uh, but it all starts with beating Texas A&M. That, that'll get you uh, to 20 regular season wins, which even if they don't make the tournament, even if they go one and done at the SEC tournament, no one wants to talk about that. But... If, if that happens, to win 20 games in the regular season with this roster, 
is amazing. And you're probably going to get some, some home games in the NIT, so you're going to get a chance to see him play a couple more times. And who knows, they're good enough to where they could probably make a run in the NIT. You don't want to you know, talk about that. You'd rather be playing in the NCAA tournament. But uh, I think that this is still a successful year, regardless of whether or not the committee puts them into the, the big dance or not. Yeah, the NIT is just so, like, why does it even exist? Well, I mean, honestly, but if we go back, I don't know if we were doing this podcast yet at the beginning of the season, or any, but I said the NIT yeah. was a successful season. And I know I got some reactions from people on our board and on Twitter saying, like, oh, the NIT sucks. You know, that's, a, that's always a failure. Yeah, well, it's a lot yes, better than on, not making in, it. <laughs> in general, like, yeah, if Eric Musselman's been here for five years and you're just talking about making the NIT, yeah, that's disappointing. However, with this roster that he inherited, you're taking a team that won 18 games last year, made the NIT, and you lose an NBA prospect in Daniel Gafford and replace him with Jimmy Whit, who's a very good player, but completely different player. You don't have a big man, as you mentioned, and to do what they've done, and they're most likely going to – surpass their preseason projection of 11th in the SEC. Now they may only be 9th or 10th, but you're still going to exceed that projection. I think Musman deserves a lot of credit. No doubt. Um, so last night, they took a 21-point lead into the locker room, and then they started milking the clock around the 9-8 minute mark, and that's when it became a little harder to watch. You know, not as much scoring. Arkansas started missing a ton of free throws. I think they finished... I don't know. They missed something like 17 It was not a good percentage. It was, it was really bad. Uh, and it's not the first time it's happened this season, but generally Arkansas is a pretty decent free throw shooting team, so it's always not fun to watch when that happens. But the milking the clock thing, a lot of people couldn't understand why Musselman does that. And let me play a clip from what he had to say about that. And so you start playing the percentages, and um, where did that – philosophy or thought process come from it came from being down 22 against Cincinnati and they played right into our hands they didn't milk the clock they didn't kill the clock we're down 22 with 10 minutes to go to to get a berth into the sweet 16 and we come back and win because they kept playing so we were on this other side where teams kept playing instead of having great shot clock management. And against New Mexico, quite frankly, if they would have dribbled the ball until the shot clock was about to expire and threw it out of bounds and never taken a shot attempt, they would have beaten us by 10. But they kept playing and had poor management of, of end-of-game clock stuff. And so that's where our philosophy kind of comes of – you got to control the game and figure out a way to win. We haven't lost many games when we've had a comfortable lead. So I know you love that because looking at the statistics and all that stuff, you know, you milk the clock, you throw the ball out of bounds, whatever. Arkansas is going to win with that strategy, right? Yeah, I mean, it, it makes sense. Like hearing him explaining it, explain it, it does make a lot of sense. I, I was one of those people that were like, I'm not a big fan of milking the clock. Uh, but, you know, when you're a Division One team, you know, that, that's of their caliber, which I think is pretty good, you should be able to get away with it. As he said, if you just make free throws, it's a completely different ball game. They score over 100 points, and everyone's super excited about how it, it went down yesterday. So uh, I think that that makes sense, and it's spoken like a true 
analytics NBA guy, and I love that because I'm, as y'all know, a big numbers nerd. So uh, that was that was a really fascinating thing to hear Musselman say at his press conference. And I'm sure that's not always the best strategy because, you know, if you have you know really hot shooters on the other team, something like that, it could always go bad the other way. But Arkansas's defense is really solid. Um, last night they did give up a few more three pointers than they usually do. But LSU had two starters fouled out, like four or five more guys with four fouls. So just in general with the situation, LSU was never really going to come back into that game. And I know hogs going hog. That's, that's <laughs> the thing people like to say. But in this case, I think Musselman was totally right. It was never going to happen. Um, they go on the road to Texas A&M. A&M has been much improved, much improved lately. Um, but... Coincidentally, their home record is not great, uh, so I think Arkansas can maybe take a little bit more confidence into College Station than they would uh, otherwise. And um, if Arkansas does beat Texas A&M, they're automatically not playing on Wednesday, correct? Correct. In order to be playing on Wednesday, they would have to not only lose to Texas A&M, but they would need a bunch of other stuff to happen as well. They would need Ole Miss to lose its last game. They need Missouri to win its last game. And they would need something like LSU and Florida and uh, one of Auburn. They have to have certain. I mean, it's it's a quite the scenario that would have to play out for Arkansas to be an 11 seed. Uh, you can check that out on Hogbeat.com. I've got it fully laid out in a pretty good format. Uh, but yeah, it's most likely going to be the nine or the 10 seed. The nine seed scenario is much easier to explain. Arkansas needs to win. And Alabama needs to lose. That would create a tie at eight and ten uh, with Alabama, and Arkansas, of course, owns that tiebreaker by beating them in Tuscaloosa earlier in the season. So that could happen. Uh, they have to. Alabama has to go to Missouri. Uh, who knows what Missouri looks like at the time? But then, uh, if Arkansas loses, it's still more than likely going to be the ten seed. Uh, that's probably going to be the situation. And if it's a ten seed, you avoid Kentucky in the second rounds with the chance to go to the semifinals. So that's pretty big. Um, thank you to CJ's Butcher Boy Burgers in Fayetteville and Russellville for sponsoring this segment of Hog, Hog Talk. Um, when we get back, we are going to um, recap Arkansas's poor 0-4 recent streak in baseball and uh, what they can do this weekend, even without Connor Nolan, to break that against South Alabama. Stay with us. Hey everybody, we are back. It is the Hogbeat Hour. I just want to give the site a quick plug. You can always get 30 days free if you're afraid of commitment with code HOGS30, H-A-W-G-S-30. Or right now you can get a full annual subscription at full price, which is just 100 bucks for the whole year and we will give you $50 back to spend at the Rivals Fan Shop. And they've got a huge selection of Razorback gear, hats, polos, jerseys, all that kind of good stuff. So go to hogbeat.com to check that out. Um, Hutch, it's your time to shine. The Razorbacks are on a bit of a skid. So without spending too much time, what's been going on with these guys? Really, they're losing really tight games. I mean, the last three losses have been by one run each. It's been since 2014 that the Arkansas has lost at least that many games in a row by one run. So 
little things are the difference between winning and losing right now. Uh, in Houston at the Shriners Classic, they just weren't getting the clutch hit. They would get guys in running in scoring position, and they'd come up empty. I think they went four for 32. That and then errors in Houston killed them. They had, I want to say, five or six unearned runs in those first two games that they lost by three to Oklahoma, had the total meltdown in the seventh inning. Then you had the total meltdown at the beginning of the Texas game the following day because of errors. You take all that away, Arkansas probably wins at least two of three games in Houston, and everyone's feeling a lot better about themselves. Uh, against Illinois State, it was just a matter of you didn't take advantage of all the opportunities. They went six for 20 with runners in scoring position. That's a 300 average, which is pretty good. However, you had 20 opportunities, and you only got six hits. So you get a couple of hits here and there. Uh, you have a chance to add more runs to the board whenever you do score, and then you, you put them away and, and you win that game. But again, that's also a midweek game. Illinois State, as teams do when they're playing Arkansas, use their Friday night ace to close out the game. That would be like Arkansas last year throwing Isaiah Campbell in a midweek game. What, what I mean, do they not have to start them on Friday? Or they yes. just do it on short rest? They just do it on short rest. And a lot of these pitchers, they have bullpen sessions where they're going to pitch you know, off the side you know, in practice anyways, so might as well let them get their bullpen session in live action. Uh, teams do that from time to time now. Teams like Arkansas and most SEC teams probably don't do that because they, they don't want to risk getting them hurt whenever you need them to face a Mississippi State, Ole Miss, LSU, whoever is coming up on the weekend. So, But these, these teams like Illinois State, this is a big game for them. If they win this, this helps their RPI. It just looks good, gives them a confidence boost. So they go all out to beat teams like Arkansas when they have a chance. So you did the composite poll, which I believe – didn't account for the Illinois State loss, but where's Arkansas ranked now? So they were number four, and they fell all the way down to number 11. Uh, kind of where I thought they would be. That's probably about right because they went winless in Houston. Uh, three quality teams, so it's not like you got to, you know, I'm sure some people are like, oh, you can't, they shouldn't be ranked at all. Well, they're still a good team. They just ran into other good teams. So uh, they fell down to 11th. I think one poll, I think the USA Today coaches poll has them at number 10. The those, other polls, those are the smartest guys, right? I mean, you <laughs> would think uh, if, if the coaches actually fill out their polls, sometimes they right. just have their SIDs fill right. it out. And stuff. So, I mean, uh, but other polls have them. I think there's one, that has, most of them have them 13. I think one of them has 14. So they're a consensus top 15 team. Uh, and as I mentioned, number 11 in our composite poll. So still a good team, still too early to hit the panic button, but this is a pretty big series coming up with South Alabama. Yeah, people seem to, I don't want to say overreact, but after Arkansas losing to Georgia and three games of losing in baseball, the fans were just having a really bad weekend this past weekend, and then losing to Illinois State by one run wasn't oh, I great. Get yeah. I get it. I mean, this is Arkansas fans. They, they're just they're used to heartbreak. And, and I feel you. I really do. I, I f that's why I didn't really get on Twitter and say, oh, y'all shouldn't panic You know, after this loss to Illinois State. I just let y'all have it. I mean, if y'all wanted to panic, go ahead and panic, freak out, scream, whatever, because uh, it, it is, it's It'll hard being an Arkansas fan. <laughs> later on, probably. They'll probably feel a little dumb. Yeah, you know, it, it happens every year. I mean, they lost four games in a row last year in the middle of conference play, including a 10-run loss to UALR, which in my opinion, is a whole heck of a lot worse than a one-run loss to Illinois State. Uh, and you know what? They turned out all right. Still made it to Omaha. Casey Martin made fans feel pretty dumb as well on uh, against Illinois State 
had a great game. Yeah, he had four hits, four for five. Uh, he struck out once, although I really don't hold that against him too much because he was asked to sacrifice bunt. That was a decision that Dave Van Horn said was pretty easy when I asked him about it. However, I disagree. Uh, but then again, who am I to disagree with the GOAT, Dave Van Horn? <laughs> uh, I Personally, he was 3-for-3 three three at the time, had already had a couple RBI hits in earlier in the game. He seemed to have his confidence back. He already had the tying run in scoring position. He was wanting to get the tying run on third and the go-ahead run in scoring position. I would have swung away with him. Uh, alas, he couldn't get the bunt down, had one pitch to work with, and went, you know, swung and missed at an off-speed pitch. But in the other at-bats, he looked very, very good, very comfortable. Uh, drove in a couple with a double uh, down the line. He made solid contact with a couple of his other hits. He bunted for a hit, ironically enough, after failing to get the sacrifice down, using his speed. That was good to see. And he looked pretty smooth in the, in the field. He only had three opportunities, but he didn't bobble any balls. He didn't make any bad throws. They were all really good throws to first. And even one of the balls uh, that was hit to him had some funky spin on it that did some weird voodoo type movement in the infield. Didn't face him a bit and, and made the play. So really encouraging performance from Casey Martin. Um, Blake Adams got that start on Sunday, right? But he's not starting this weekend. Adams started on Tuesday oh, against okay. Illinois State. Oh, okay, how do you do? Uh, not well. He, okay. he did okay in the first inning, retired him in order, but they did hit the ball kind of hard against him, uh, just right at people. Uh, second inning, he gave up an infield hit that probably was a play Arkansas should have made, uh, walked a couple of guys. And then he gave up a couple of, I think he walked a guy and gave up a hit to start the third inning, didn't record an out, and they went to the bullpen. He's still figuring things out. I mean, he's a young guy. It t sometimes takes a little bit for freshmen to get things going. Uh, and so I I'm not ready to, to give up on him. Uh, I think he's still going to be a good pitcher. He needs to be a good pitcher for Arkansas this year. So uh, I think he'll get it figured out. Um, the games this weekend, 3 p.m. on Friday, 2 p.m. on Saturday, and noon on Sunday. It's supposed to be pretty gorgeous weather. Spring is finally here in Fayetteville. Thank the Lord because I have had enough of winter. <laughs> um, but unfortunately, Connor Nolan, last Friday, um, they came out to see him on the mound, and he was like, no, 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 I'm okay, right? And then eventually he checked out of the game. Um, turns out minor oblique strain which does not sound good for someone of his position i guess you couldn't hit either if you had a minor oblique strain so he is not going to pitch on friday what's the plan now well they're going to move patrick wicklander up from saturday to sun uh friday uh dave van horn said at the swatters club meeting earlier this week that he's not too concerned about it you know him pitching on one day less rest because he only threw 40 pitches against texas he was on the mound when Arkansas had all the errors, and then he gave up a bunch of hits and couldn't get anybody out. Really uncharacteristic start for him. Uh, so he, he should be well-rested, ready to go for Friday. And then you're going to see Caleb Bolden on Saturday and Cole Ramage on Sunday. Those are two guys that were kind of battling it out to be that number three guy. I, I, was, I was anxious to hear and ask Dave Van Horn about it uh, uh, on Wednesday at the Swatters Club. Hey, who's going to get that number three spot? But... Now they're both going to get a chance to start, and they're both going to get the audition. Caleb Bolden, I'm really excited to see how he does. Uh, it'll be his second start of the year. Uh, he's still kind of working his way back from having Tommy John surgery that kept him out all of last year. Uh, and so he's still kind of not really a guy that you expect to go seven innings for you. But if he can give you five solid innings, that would be phenomenal. Uh, help, you, help you save some of your bullpen. 
Uh, if you need to use it uh, to back up Wicklander on Friday, keep it over for Sunday. Uh, so that would be big. Cole Ramage, I was encouraged by his outing against Baylor. Uh, he gave them three scoreless innings, worked around a lot of trouble. I think the leadoff man reached and got to second in each of the first three innings, but he worked around it. He did end up giving up a couple of runs, but he made it five innings. It was a pretty, For a Sunday starter, that was a pretty solid start, again, especially against a quality team like Baylor. So I think it's okay for one weekend against South Alabama. Against Mississippi State the following weekend to open SEC play, you really want Connor Nolan back because he is, I believe, the true ace of the staff. His stuff may not be as good as Patrick Wicklander. He doesn't like strike out a lot of people, but he throws strikes. He people you know hit into outs, and he can get you uh, some quick innings and work deep into games. So I, I think if Connor is healthy, he's the ace. And you need him healthy to really have a, a really successful year and maybe make another run in the postseason. It sounds like Dave wants a little bit more from his more veteran hitters. Who's who's hitting the ball really well right now and who's struggling or not doing as well as you hoped? Well, Heston Kerstad is being Heston Kerstad. Okay. He is. He's Good. phenomenal. He's hit five home runs. I think he's at five home runs. So I, I kind of honestly thought he'd have more at this point of the season. I mean, I predicted him to hit 25 this year. That's pretty bold of a prediction, but... Uh, he's got five right now, but he's hitting well over 400. He he's just he's just driving in runs. He leads the team in RBIs, and he's got 14, 15, maybe even 16, something like that now. And uh, he's hitting the ball really well. And Christian Franklin, who was my uh, surprise All SEC pick, is really hitting the ball well. I think he's hitting. Pat yourself on the back. Uh, there. You know, <laughs> I got that one. Uh, he's he's hitting around 400 right now, and he just continues to hit. I think he's got a hit in all but one game this year. Uh, so he is there. Both those guys are swinging the bat really, really well. As far as who's not swinging the bat, we talked about Casey Martin. He was hitting like a buck eighty-two or something like Yikes. that before this past game. I think it bumped him up into the two sixty range. So respectable, still not quite to Casey Martin levels that you would expect. Uh, but he needs to keep it going. Hopefully, build that, build off of that confidence he got against Illinois State. And then you need some other guys to kind of step up. I mean, you need. Cole Austin, he's, he's a veteran guy, transfer. He's in his fifth year of college ball. He's played a couple of years at West Virginia in the Big 12. He played, spent a couple of years at Arizona State in the Pac-12, and now he's at Arkansas playing very good defense. Uh, he's not a natural first baseman, but he's looked really good, made some really good scoops defensively. But I think he's hitting right around 200, maybe under 200. So uh, really need him to, to get it going offensively. But other than that, Everyone else is really hitting the ball really well. Robert Moore continues to hit well. Casey Opitz is hitting well. Jacob Nesbitt's getting some hits. Uh, I'd like to see Braden Webb maybe get hit, hit a little bit more. Uh, the big thing, though, is, is hitting in timely situations. I touched on it earlier with the Houston trip, 4 for 32 and runners in scoring position. If they can just get some timely hits, they're going to be okay. I mean, they're hitting over 300 as a team. So timely hits if they can get that then they're going to be a just as dangerous of an offense as they were the last couple of years you heard it here first guys don't panic <laughs> it's gonna start rolling along when we come back football is so close we're i wouldn't say excited but uh it's, it's always good to see what a, a new coaching staff brings and what they're going to do differently so uh, when we come back spring football talk Hey 
Hey, Hog fans, we are back on the Hog Beat Hour. I'm Nikki Chavanel here with Andrew Hutchinson. It is 10 days away from the first day of spring football practice. They'll go Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and then spring break, and then I think they'll do Tuesday, Thursday, up until the spring game, which is April 25th. Um, a new thing this year, um, they're kind of limiting access at least for Play, um, players, parents, and family, which is something that I think Sam Pittman got from um, Kirby Smart. And I think it's kind of like a, a control thing and wanting to have, you know, the most control over your players as you can. You don't want, you know, those helicopter parents kind of circling around trying to get in the coach's ear and stuff like that. So uh, it's good to see. That's a, one new change that we've seen. Another change. Uh, Ricky Stromberg tweeted out that he's pushing, you know, past 300 pounds. Incredibly encouraging considering he was at like 270 when he was playing as one of two true freshmen on SEC offensive line. So him adding weight, good weight, is a very encouraging thing. Yeah, I mean, because he played well at that low weight. I mean, I think he was listed at 266. I want to say he told us that he was playing at like 275. So not quite that light, but I mean, still really light compared to other offensive linemen. Uh, that's what the previous coaching staff want. They, they don't think they wanted him that light, but they they didn't have, want a big beefy offensive line. Sam Pittman's the other way around. I mean, remember when he was here as the offensive line coach? No, I don't remember. Well, you don't remember, <laughs> but the people listening uh, remember his offensive lines back then. They were, you know, they there was always the graphic during football games where, oh, they're bigger than all but like one NFL offensive line. They're bigger than all the NFL offensive lines. So that's nuts. They <laughs> they like they like to add, add some size, and as long as you as as you said, as long as it's good weight, then I think that's fantastic because he he graded out really well. Uh, I want to say he was even like a, a freshman All SEC guy uh, on Pro Football Focus. So it was really really good to see and uh, hopefully he can you know continue to build on that with that new weight and, and become uh, you know one of those classic Sam Pittman offensive linemen. So Arkansas still has a couple spots that they can give up to walk-ons. We thought maybe you know if a guy like TQ Jackson wanted to come back out of the transfer portal and stay with the team he could take one of those spots but what we've learned is that TQ, because he entered the transfer portal while Sam Pittman was here, you know, he had every opportunity to talk to the staff and work out his feelings and thoughts before entering the transfer portal that mm, it's too late now. In the grand scheme of things, you know, he was a true freshman, didn't play very much because he hadn't really grasped the offense very well from my understanding. Um, did anybody grasp the offense? <laughs> it didn't seem like it, <laughs> but some did better than others. Um, so he didn't play very much. So it doesn't, like, you never know how someone's going to progress. He's a really quick kid, lots of size, like 6'3", but overall doesn't seem like a huge loss because Arkansas returns all three starters, and they've got a little bit of depth. I'd like a little bit more at that wide receiver position, especially if someone were to get hurt. Um, but overall, not a huge deal. Um, some more transfer news. Uh, Chase Hayden, he set some official visits to like Tennessee and Houston, I want to say. So um, probably would be wise for him to transfer you know, down a level um, to a, a Houston and get a lot more playing time. Don't know 
how much he would be able to get at a, at a program like Tennessee. I don't know what their roster depth looks like, but he is a, a legacy there, right? So Yeah, and his dad was a very good running back uh, for Tennessee. So that's that's kind of what I'm thinking he'll, where he'll end up is he'll go play where, where his dad played. And honestly, he probably would have gone there out of high school if they really pursued him harder uh, but came to Arkansas. And, you know, if, if he does end up at Tennessee – We'll get to see him again because Tennessee comes to Razorback Stadium next season. So it'll, it could be another Ty Story, uh, Cole Hedlund. Uh, you know, obviously Jonathan Nance was at it's a bright Who knows? <laughs> I mean, it, it's hard to say. but uh, And who knows if he even, you know, as you said, I don't know what their roster depth is at that position at running back. But who knows? So if he, he may not even get to play that much. But it just seems like, oh, man, <laughs> here we go again. The only unfortunate thing is that he does have a younger brother, um, Dalen Hayden. Um, you know, they're from Tennessee, and he's got 14 offers already. Arkansas hasn't reoffered him under the new staff, so it, it doesn't seem like Arkansas will be able to get the second Hayden brother later on. But, you know, oh well, spilt milk, no big deal. Um, more news this week from football, and this was something that, um, you know, the, the football team puts out these little hype workout videos, something I noticed was Blaine Toll, he was wearing a red shirt while all of the defensive players were wearing black. So I was like, huh, maybe they've moved him to tight end. And then lo and behold, I think it was Wednesday night, um, new tight end coach John Cooper posted a photo of his tight end room, which is right now just a merry band of four tight ends. Um, and there's Blaine Toll, the true freshman who signed as a defensive end. Um, out of Hazen, Arkansas, and I thought, you know, that seems like just, it makes the most sense to move him. You might as well move him now. Some people were saying, oh, well, how far back is that going to set his development back from eventually maybe being a defensive end? I don't know that it matters that much because he was such a tweener. Like, I don't think he showed so much promise as a defensive end that you're really going to miss out on him later on down the line he could end up being a very good tight end. So Yeah, I mean, that's the thing is also, this is the path to playing time as a freshman. Yeah. Because, I mean, you, you mentioned the depth at tight end. You've got uh, Hudson Henry as a scholarship player. Then you got Blake Kern, who's a former walk-on that's on scholarship. And then you got a true freshman coming in and, and Colin Sutherland, right? Yep. Uh, so you don't really have a lot of depth there. He could come in and, and play immediately and, and get on the field and just you know showcase his physicality yeah because uh, he is a big dude and, and I'm anxious to see I remember talking to his high school coach at one point and he was saying you know once he once he gets in a college weight program and like really dedicates himself to that it's going to be scary because he's he's got the frame so I'm anxious to see what he can do I don't know how well he can catch passes but if nothing else he can go out there and bulldoze some people as a blocker Right, and back in the day when he was trying to earn an offer from Arkansas, he did um, do camps as both a tight end and a defensive end, and they ended up offering him at defensive end. So they saw a little bit more potential there, um, but that was two years ago. So who knows? Um, I like it. Hudson Henry, Blake Kern, even this walk-on kid, Nathan Bax, who's from Illinois State, none of them have played significant snaps. So Blaine Toll really has as good of a chance as anyone to see playing time. So for him, he seems like a really competitive kid who that would be kind of very high priority. Um, so I like that move. 
Um, we'll be talking a lot more spring football next podcast, inevitably, as we break down how the positions are looking, who we could see maybe breaking through this spring, and a lot more. Um, when we come back, I'm going to have Phil Elson, the, uh, the voice of the women's basketball team, and we're going to talk about Arkansas's first win in the SC tournament over Auburn, where they uh, broke a three-point record already. So good things ahead for those ladies when we get back. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Hogbeat Hour. I have Phil Elson, voice of the women's basketball team, on the line. Uh, Phil, Arkansas just won over 13 seed Auburn, 90-68. to 68. Man, that, that was a pretty good game. Was that kind of what you expected out of this one? Well, I, I, I mean, I expected a win. I don't know if I expected 17 threes or for them to come out flat for the first four and a half minutes and, and give up the first eight points. Uh, for Mike Call, one of the earliest times out uh, that I've seen all year, about 90 seconds in. But uh, this team really just showed one of the things that makes them so... Uh, difficult to plan for because they can just explode at a moment's notice, and, and that's what happened. Um, you know, you end up with this incredible first half put together by Alexis Tolfrey. She put up 20 points, scored from every angle, and then Chelsea Dungy pretty much did that in the second half. So you had two players explode. Uh, they were on, and the crazy thing, uh, Nikki, is that they hit 17 threes when Amber Ramirez uh, went one for her first 13. You know, and I think she, uh, you, you give Amber 13 threes, usually she's going to hit four or five of them. So they, they honestly could have hit 23 or 24 three-pointers. Um, I just hope they didn't peak today because uh, they'll need they'll need that accuracy and more tomorrow against Texas a Right. Do you feel like this is a team that's kind of built to go far in a tournament style where you're playing day after day? Yeah, well, I mean, they're, Mike's really good about making sure that they conserve energy in ways that, uh, that that they can use it in games. So he doesn't practice them very hard right now. And um, uh, and it looked to me like they were uh, just as quick as ever. And uh, I don't see any reason why, you know, 21 hours later, they can't come out with the same kind of intensity. They did that last year. Um, so energy-wise, depth-wise, yeah, I think this is a team that's built – for a run in, in any tournament, of course, it's depending on who it is you play. And the problem with the side of the bracket Arkansas is on is that if you do beat Texas A&M, which is a really tall order, then South Carolina is leading for you. And the, the honest thing about South Carolina is that you could play really well, but it doesn't really matter against very such that the Gamecocks are that good. So... Uh, it's when, you know one game at a time, but I think that they're definitely built to be able to make a run in in any tournament they play. Does Texas A&M have two All SEC selections? Uh, no, they do. I mean, they've got two players at least that are of that caliber. Um, you know, the, and Bea Jones is one of the better rebounders of the SEC. Kennedy Carter is probably. I mean, we she's one of the most lethal scorers in the entire country. Uh, Kayla Wells has come up big a few times against Arkansas. I mean, they're really not just one player. Um, they are not as deep as Arkansas is. Uh, Coach Blair pretty much centers around the same 
six to seven players. So if you're able to get somebody into foul trouble, that can pay dividends. And I think that was noticeable last year in the semifinals against Texas A&M because they were they were the same idea, played about you know six, seven, maybe eight players. And once Kennedy Carter had her hand injury and didn't play in the semifinal, it was noticeable. They just weren't the same lethal team. But she's back and she's healthy, and they're just as good as they've been at any point this year. So, I mean, personally, with the site, you know, we don't cover a lot of women's basketball. So if, if you're a fan of Arkansas in general, but you don't watch a lot of women's basketball, uh, give me, you know, the reasons why I need to jump on the bandwagon right now for the SEC tournament. Well, I mean, this is a fun team to watch. Nonetheless, if you don't like women's basketball, if you just like basketball, or if you just like sports and a fast-paced game, then this is a team that's easy to root for. They really are. And, and it's you know, the, the personalities on the team are, are great. The, the stories on the team are great. But I think when you're a fan, you just want to be excited. And when you're being introduced to a sport, you want to be exhilarated by it. Um, and, and Arkansas women's basketball, it's not the same with every women's team. It's just the same thing as not every men's team is the most exciting style of basketball either. I mean, Virginia won the other day with 49 points. That's a nice win, but that's not going to excite anybody. Not to denigrate the defending national champs, but Arkansas's women's team is always fun to watch because they play a high-octane, fast-paced brand of the game that I think people enjoy watching. So, you know, those who are already fans know that. You know, they if you come out and watch them two or three times, you know the kind of the kind of basketball they play because it makes you notice. But if you're just trying to get on the bandwagon, you're like, well, it's it's Arkansas, so I'll pay attention to it. Once you start paying attention to this team, you'll be hooked because it's just um, it's a very attractive style of basketball to play, to watch, and to broadcast. The men's team, they're fighting to just stay on the bubble, kind of, but the women's team, they're pretty much in, right, to the tournament? Yeah, no, it's a done deal. Um, it's pretty much historical fact that uh, 10 wins in the SEC gets you in, and I don't, nine wins usually gets you in to the uh, NCAA tournament, too. So, yeah, by, by, by tying for third place in the league with 22 regular season wins and now a 23rd today, they, they, were, they were probably in at the eighth conference win, uh, so they're really confident about that, and that they know that they're playing to try to get a better seed in the national tournament. Because right now, uh, Mike Neighbors told me he thinks that they're probably slotted somewhere between seven and eight, uh, and you don't want to be the eight seed because that means that you're playing on the opponent's home floor right. against the one seed in the second round. Uh, so it'd be good if Arkansas can get themselves. Maybe a five or a six, or a seven would be good, too. Thanks so much, Phil. My dogs are threatening to ruin this entire interview, but um, I really appreciate it. Keep keep doing good work. You got it, Nikki. You too. Just stick a bone in their mouth. They'll stop barking. <laughs> Thanks. Bye. Thanks, everybody, for tuning into the Hogbeat Hour. Tune in next week as we start breaking down spring football. Have a good one.